0: i Miriam Knight, and I'm speaking with Russell Paul, the author of the groundbreaking book, The Yoga of Sound, Tapping the Hidden Power of Music and Chant. Russell is a world-class musician and yogi, and the leading proponent and teacher of sonic mysticism. And today he'll be talking about the power of mantras and affirmations. So, Russell, what is the difference between a mantra and an affirmation?
1: Yes, uh, it's tricky because I think they are very much the same. and uh, But in some sense, they are also different, meaning where they originate and where they sort of go and work. I tend to think of affirmations as things we use on the conscious mind or on the conscious level. Mm-hmm. And they are drawn generally from language that is per. Uh, is sort of used on the conscious level, meaning, you know, regular language. Mm-hmm. Uh, that makes very rational sense to us. And then those affirmations, which we know now from a number of different studies, you know, decades of uh, this kind of research in the West, uh, we realize it goes into our subconscious mind and takes root there and begins to work there to our benefit. And if we are not doing this, on a daily, moment-to-moment basis, we are very well aware that negative thoughts that we either consciously or subconsciously cultivate, literally cultivate, uh, tends to generate more of the same negativity. By your fruits, you will know them. I mean, Jesus used it. uh, The East is full of this kind of language, and so many of our teachers, Western teachers, have taken this understanding and beautifully expressed it for us today. A number of people, Shakti Gawain, and uh, for instance, mm-hmm. or you take people in the Christian world, you have Joel Osteen, they're all doing good work saying the same thing. Take conscious, rational uh, aphorisms, phrases, statements, and use them so it gets into your subconscious, and there can begin to work, because words have power, and all ancient cultures know that. Now, in Memphis, on the other hand, come from what we would call the more ancient form of language where the root meaning of the word and the sound and the energy experience of the words are all uh, encoded at a very, very deep level of being in the first place. Mm -hmm. So they already originate there. They are constructed there. The consciousness that perceives these sounds and their energy fields are already in that deep place. And so that's their construction level. And when we begin to use them In at the conscious or from the conscious level, then it begins to take us. They're like vehicles that take us down to these deep levels where these sounds originate, and they kind of connect us to these archetypal energies that begin to feed us Um, in much the same way with these powers that we seek through affirmations. However, here we get in touch with more larger, I'd say, archetypal powers. And uh, in a way, you can call them gods, goddesses, if you will, because they can be personified. It's a way of accessing them. And we begin to see them as deep down extensions of ourselves, uh, as I put it, you know, that these potencies are within ourselves and they're awakened through the sounds. So while they, you know, they're kind of in the similar. Uh, ballpark in terms of what they do and how they do, uh, there are some important differences uh, to them, which I hope we just sort of touched on. Mm-hmm. But I'm getting the feeling that uh, a book is necessary to listen <laughs> <laughs> as I speak.
0: <laughs> well, in, in addition to books, your, your um, CDs, your music, and your chants are a sonic picture that uh, is worth a thousand words as well, and we do have a track that we're going to play. Um, this mantra is, called, is Om Namah Shivaya. It's, um, d- tell us about it.
1: Well, the word Om, of course, is a wonderful mantra, and it's like an affirmation of divine presence, that meaning God is here and now, indisputably present. In its simplicity, it says that. The word Nama comes from the root Nam, which means to bow or to bend or become supple, become flexible, um, which is a very nice analogy. And then you have the word Shiva, which at the root meaning means blessing or favorable or more precisely auspicious, good for us, benign. And so... When we use a mantra like this, quite literally what we're saying is I bow to the blessedness. You know, I bow to what is favorable, mm-hmm. that the universe, in a way, the energies to which I am becoming flexible toward and are beginning to flow through me are good for me. So that's the basic idea of the mantra. And then if you take Shiva on a symbolic level, it represents transformation, say all the deconstruction and the re instruction that comes from breaking out old patterns and the new. This is a powerful mantra at any time, especially in times of great change, because it puts a kind of trust that says change is good eventually. I trust in the change is another way of putting it. she
0: when when I listen to this mantra, it it is really transporting. I mean, it, it just takes you into a mystical place in a way that words cannot do.
1: Exactly. Because these sounds, you know, they're so old, they come from this deep level of perception where at the very root level of our being, where we hope that our affirmations take us, these already originate there. And so it pulls us down to that root level and gives us the power from that place uh, that's why I like the combination mm-hmm. of the two.
0: Mm-hmm. Because we are all vibrational beings. So is exactly. there is there a way to combine um, the, the, the power of both mantras and affirmations to sort of speak to your rational uh, subconscious mind and speak to the vibrational body at the same time?
1: You're absolutely right. I think that's the future. Uh, that's what we should start doing. And it's a wonderful way for people who are not comfortable, for instance, with the mantras to begin to use them together with affirmations and then discover how powerful they are. I mean, to say change is blessed or I bow to the change or I trust in God or I trust in the divine and then begin to use these sounds because what mantras do is they sort of bypass the rational analytical and they speak directly to our nervous system and so in a way... You know, sometimes when we use affirmations, we're sort of jittery, and there's an emotional content that we're hoping to rectify with an affirmation. You know, we feel disturbed, we want to feel good, and we use an affirmation. Mantras have this power of stabilizing, of kind of reworking the ground energies, restructuring them, so we naturally begin to feel good and whole and powerful. And so the combination of the two, sort of speaking to the conscious and the deep conscious or the subconscious at the same time, combining them can be, I think, I'm using, I'm doing this myself. Um, And so it's very, very powerful.
0: And does it matter if it's in a language that's not your own?
1: Oh, it should precisely be in a language that's, I would say, not that it's not necessarily not your own, but I think the important thing is not the language you think in. It shouldn't be the language you think in. And by mantras I just don't mean Sanskrit. Sanskrit, that's my roots, and actually, it's the roots of almost every uh, European right. European language. However, you know, if Gaelic or uh, Aboriginal or um, Hebrew are the kind of root languages in your uh, ancestral energy field, then by all means use that. Because even though you may know what these sounds mean rationally. Because they originate at these deeper levels of perception and being, they can act on those levels. So, you know, you can have Hebrew words that are also mantras, but if they're getting you to think too much about them, I think that's a sign that you might want to look for another language, because (laughs) the idea is you don't want to be thinking around it or about it. Uh Um, So you're just letting the vibration
0: work on your system. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, they're kind of like vehicles too. You kind of find yourself placed with them and you're traveling these inner realms to these deep conscious. So in a way, even though you have negative thoughts or positive thoughts sometimes circulating around you, you sure use them to enter into a depth of presence. And it helps you discover an incredibly powerful state of being. And then the affirmations become very real. I mean, they are spontaneously uttered. I feel powerful. I feel whole. Uh, I feel good. And these things almost naturally come out uh, from that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's like they are very connected, you know. I, I do think that aphorisms are also grounded in what's called the original mantric language, where the the meaning and the sound and the experience are all the same.
0: Well, there, and that's what we have to get back to. There's okay. another um, track that you sent me called, um, I'm not even going to pronounce it, Loka Samasta.
1: Yes, it's a very popular mantra, so to speak. And why I like this one um, is that it's praying or making an affirmation about the health of the whole world. And this is something, you know, I I know you and everybody watching this would relate to. There are always times, you know, we sense these areas of sickness or dis-ease, discomfort, sometimes sadness, Mm -hmm. uh, frustration. And I think it's very important to contextualize it. Otherwise, they become, you know, they, they overpower us. Mm -hmm. So if we contextualize it and see it as just a part of ourselves, and that the whole of ourselves is good and holy, but maybe a part is feeling sad, a part is feeling unhappy, a part is feeling angry, then we gain a kind of wholeness, and that wholeness is power, and this mantra does that, because it's saying, may the whole world, samasta means entire, so may the entire world be happy. So because when we say, may I be happy, sometimes immediately the image of, oh, my God, there are starving people in Africa. How can I be happy? When you say when the world may be happy, then there's absolutely no cause for any image, any thought to disrupt that sense. And our sense of self becomes so large. We embrace the world. We become the world. And that's the kind of thinking, that level of Mm-mm macroscopic thinking we also have to resort to with both affirmations and mantras when mantras give us that direct experience of Mm. it on a macroscopic level especially this one which is a Vedic mantra not mantra but comes from that tradition
0: well let's listen to it Sure. moving so how can one learn more about these methods
1: well the main of course you know I travel around the country and I offer workshops and retreats uh, in in a lot of different locations around the country uh, US and Canada but I've also been running this yogic mystery school because I'm looking for uh, and I'm also many of my students want more intimate and can and more continuity in their learning and also a depth and breadth of scope And so in addition to my books and my CDs, I've created DVDs and CDs and a lot of content that I share with my students progressively through this online program that I call a yogic mystery school. Mm -hmm. And the idea is, you know, this thing about empowerment, about healing, about broadening our scope of the deeper dimensions of yoga, uh, learning Sanskrit, but from point of view of transforming ourselves, not so much from the linguistic scholarly view, though we address that, but you know, for ourselves. What we can do to change our states, our mental emotional states.
0: And this is an online school rather than a physical school.
1: Yeah, it's an it's entirely online. But the advantage is that, you know, students constantly meet up with me everywhere I travel so we keep that life dynamic. Mm-hmm. And then those who wanted, uh, we have sessions through phones, sometimes through webcams. So, you know, we keep uh, there's a lot that's built into it that tries to simulate uh, direct contact as much as possible. And they have access to me five six days a week directly through email. So there's a lot of communication happening one on one throughout the week on what's what's happening. Well,
0: that's terrific. And the website.
1: Uh, it's my odd name, R U S S I L L, Paul, P A U L dot com, Russell Paul dot com. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, wish I, I wish I had one of those fancy uh, Hindu exotic names, but I'm just ordinary. Ordinary
0: first. But of- it's a great name. It's a great name for the wonderful mix that you are
1: good so what do you do? good I think it's very important I, I want to stay ordinary I want to affirm that you know I have the same uh, issues that everybody else has the same problems the same challenges and I want to function from there with my students uh, rather than being this highly realized being who is there to sort of help everybody onwards I'm growing with everybody I like that Takes the pressure off. puts the pleasure <laughs> puts the
0: pleasure in. <laughs> oh, that's a great note to end on. Putting the pleasure back into life. Thank, Thank you Mary. so much for being with us today, Russell.
1: Uh, it's a pleasure. Goodbye, Namaste. Namaste.
0: And I hope you'll join us next time, when we'll be speaking with Don Miguel Ruiz, the author of The Four Agreements. We'll be talking about the Fifth Agreement. This is Miriam Knight from New Consciousness Review. Goodbye.